morning and welcome back to Alger Assembly of God. We welcome you back to the book of Jonah. We are going chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through one of the most well-known Bible scripture stories in all of God's word. It's, it's something that boys and girls from a little age have been taught. It's something that men and women and adults of all ages have been taught. We know the story of Jonah, the man, the prophet that God had given instructions, go to Nineveh, preach to Nineveh, and instead what happened? Jonah went the opposite direction. And so in chapter 1, we entitled it Running from God, and we discovered what happens when you and I run from God. We saw that we reject God's word, we disobey his instructions, we flee from his presence, and we overlook the consequences that God has. Last week, as we jumped into chapter 2, chapter 2 was Jonah in the belly of the fish. As he disobeyed God, he ran from God. He got in a boat headed in the opposite direction. And what happened? The storm came. Uh, he was thrown overboard. God appointed a fish. The fish swallowed Jonah. And in chapter 2, Jonah was in the belly of the fish. And Jonah chapter 2 is all about prayer. And so last week we looked at praying to God. Praying to God. We looked at what are some of the principles of prayer you and I can learn from Jonah. And what we learned was this. We can pray anywhere, at any time, about anything, and we can be assured that God will listen and God will answer. Great principles of prayer from Jonah in chapter 2. So today we come to Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3, we're going to entitle this, Revival from God. How many of you would desire revival? Hopefully a lot of us. Revival in our own lives, revival in our homes and our families, revival in our church and our area and our region and our state and our nation and our world. We want God to revive this land. Now, certainly... Uh, Revivals or revival services can be scheduled, but revival itself comes from God. As we're going to see in chapter 3, there's a number of components, there's a number of ingredients perhaps that we can kind of add to the mix to get ready and to prepare our hearts for revival. And so follow with me as we jump into chapter 3, part 3, Revival from God. If you and I want revival in our hearts, if we want revival in our homes, in our families, and in our nation, it starts with some of these principles. Number one, we must hear God's call. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. God had spoken a clear call to Jonah. He instructed him to go. This, this call is expressed in a couple of words in Hebrew. Literally, it means rising, go. You put those words together. In, in English, we might interpret it as go now or go immediately. There's an urgency about this call. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah instructing him to go. What are you and I doing to put ourselves in position to be able to hear the call of God? Are we faithful to be in the word of God? 
Now, we're, we're finishing up the year. We are, this is the last Sunday of November. Those of you that are worshiping with us live, this is the last Sunday of November. We've got just a, one more month of the year left. There's still time for you to continue to be into God's Word, maybe even finish up the Word of God. Uh, just finished, I think it was last week or the week before, the reading this, this year of the Word of God. I'm going to get a head start on next year. Is that Okay. Because I'm just, I'm not going to not read for a month or a month and a half. So I'm going to keep reading. But I'm done for this year. I'm going to start reading for next year. But wherever you might be, keep going or start going or dig into God's Word. Place ourselves in position that as we read, as we study, as we spend time in God's Word, we're able to hear the voice of God, the call of God through His Word. Are we spending time in prayer that's what last week was about, principles of prayer. When we are in God's Word and when we are in a time of prayer, you and I have an opportunity of hearing from God. Isn't it amazing that when we read and when we pray, it's astonishing. God speaks. And many times when we step aside from or when we shut that book of the Bible, when we shut our time in prayer... Sometimes we look around and we say, wow, God's just not speaking to me. I don't know what it is. I mean, I just haven't heard anything from God. When we dig into his word in a regular basis, when we spend time in prayer on a regular basis, God will speak. We've got to be tuned in to hear his call. Are we faithful to opportunities of growing and learning? Many of you are. Our, our discipleship opportunities at 930 are Bible study and prayer opportunity, Sunday nights at 6. Those are other opportunities created to do what? Help us to hear the call of God from his word and in a time of prayer. And that's some corporate uh, church opportunities. But on a regular basis, on a daily basis, what are you doing to spend time with God and hear the call of God? We've got to be faithful to hear what God has to say. So verse 1, it said, the word of the Lord came to him a second time. You remember the first time, right? The first time was chapter 1, and God said, go, right? Go to Nineveh. And Jonah said, no, I'm going to go to Tarshish. Remember, we, we said it's as if, you know, God was wanting us to go to New York City, and instead of going eastwards to New York City, uh, we went westward to Los Angeles, California. That's about as far away. That's about the rough distances, perhaps, of what God was instructing Jonah to do. But verse 1 says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Aren't you thankful that we serve a God of second chances? How many of you have messed up in here? How many of you have sinned in here? We all have. God's word is clear. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we might think, well, because we've messed up, because we've sinned, because God's spoken to us in the past and we've disregarded it, God must be done with me. Be encouraged this morning as we look at Jonah chapter 3. God's not finished with you yet. God's got more in store for you to do. God's giving Jonah a second chance. Now you can imagine, 
Jonah chapter 2 spent uh, in, in the entirety in the belly of the fish, three days and three nights. That's a lot of quiet time to contemplate God's call and the fact that he disregarded it. Do you think that maybe Jonah was wondering or worrying, would I ever be used by God again? Would I ever get another chance? Man, I really blew it. Maybe you've thought that. I messed up. God called me to do this, and I didn't. God kind of nudged me to do this. Maybe you've had some of those nudges, right? Holy Spirit nudges to to do something or say something or bless someone, and you kind of debated, is it God, is it not? And then you chose not to. And then you wonder, well, God, will I get another opportunity to do something on your behalf? I'm thankful, as we see here in Jonah, God's a God of second chances to give that opportunity. God was not finished. God was not completed with what he had in store for Jonah to do. And I want to encourage you and encourage me. God's got more in store for us to do. There's more people who need to know about it, who need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And so we've got another chance and another chance and another chance. Take advantage of those second chances. So you look throughout Scripture and you see there are people who messed up big time in sin. And God gave other opportunities. Huh, highlight a handful for you. Think about King David, right? King David on the top of his palace. Looked, lusted at Bathsheba, taking a bath, an appropriate name for her apparently. Lusted, committed adultery, and then had her husband killed as a result. King of Israel. And yet, God gave another chance. God gave other opportunities. And he was described as a man after God's own heart. Wrote a lot of the Psalms. Sinned? Absolutely. Imperfect? Absolutely. Given another chance. Think about Samson. Samson was called. He, he had a, a call of God on his life, and there were certain things he, he was not to do. And Samson got, well, he got tied up with Delilah. And he gave in. And eventually, towards the end of his life, he asked for a, another opportunity, another chance God granted it to him in a one final act of his life. Think to the New Testament. Simon Peter. He denied that he knew Jesus Christ, right? He denied him three times. Not once, not twice, three times. And yet given given another opportunity by the Lord after he had been resurrected, remember that conversation. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. And he had a call of God on his life, even after messing up. So the good news when we talk about hearing God's call, sometimes we think, well, I've got to be perfect. The good news is that even though at times we mess up, even though at times we fall short and sin, God comes yet again, giving an opportunity to hear his call and respond appropriately. If God can use someone like Jonah, who went the exact opposite direction, and God gave him a second opportunity, 
I know and trust and believe God can give that opportunity to you. God can give that opportunity to me. Experiencing revival starts with hearing God's call. Secondly, revival means we've got to obey God's word. Exact opposite of what Jonah did in chapter 1, remember? The instruction of God came, and he disobeyed. But here in chapter 3, verse 3, it says, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a large city, and it took three days to go through it. Jonah obeyed, but now there's this task. What is he obeying? It was to go to Nineveh. He had to do that. It would take him some time to get there. And once he's there, it was such a large city, it would take three days to go through it. Remember, not only was it a a large city, it was an important city. It was significant in power, significant in culture, significant in size, the capital of Assyria. Largest world power at this point in time. And Nineveh had a great population. We mentioned and touched on this in chapter 1, part 1. There's a little bit of uh, maybe disagreement from scholars and commentators over exactly how large of a city it is. In chapter 4, it talks about and it mentions 120,000 who do not know their right from the left. And and some would say, well, that means 120,000 people, period. That's still a good-sized city. Other scholars or commentators would say, well, 120,000 who do not know their right from their left, well, maybe that's just about little ones or little innocent children. So when you factor in uh, older teens and adults, then maybe that doubles or triples or quadruples. So there's a variety of numbers from 120,000 up to 500,000 or a million. And you say, that's a pretty big difference. True. The fact of the matter remains, it's a large city, it's an important city, so the exact number, the significance is not whether it's 500,000 or 120,000. It's a large city. God was interested in the people in the city, and it was definitely going to take some time to go through the city. Perhaps three days would mean it would take three days to go through each of the different portions or pockets or sections of the city. But it was going to take time to obey. Simply going there, he's not going to hop on a plane like you and I can. It would take him some time, first of all, to get where he was on shore to Nineveh. But once he's there, it's going to take him three days to go through it. So this, is, this isn't just a a short and small portion of obedience, right? This was extended obedience. This was faithful obedience for the long haul. Not only did he say, yes, God, I'll obey, it then took him time to get to Nineveh. Once there, it's not just, okay, God, I'll say one thing and leave. It was going to take him time to go through the city. God's wanting you and I to obey. It's one thing to hear his call. It's it's one thing to be able to hear God's speaking to us, but it's another to be able to obey it. We've got to both hear and obey. If you've got kids in your home, if you're a boss and you've got coworkers that work with you or underneath you, and you give instructions, you don't simply want their ears to work that they hear you. 
you want it to be obeyed. If you're a boss in a store and you say, these, these aisles need to be set up and cleaned up and, and all of this, the new stock needs to be put out on the shelves. You don't want them just simply to say, oh, I hear you, boss. Yep, heard you loud and clear. I could repeat it word for word to you as I sit here doing nothing. Uh, that's not what's desired. God doesn't desire simply for us to hear his call, hear his words, and say, hmm, I hear you, God. He wants us to put it into practice and obey it. What are some commands? What are some instructions? What are some things from God, perhaps, that you and I have heard but ignored? Because chances are good we've not obeyed 100% of everything we have heard from God. Just be flat out honest. There's probably things we have not obeyed. What would that look like for you? What are some instructions maybe from God's word that you've read in, in a time of devotions or as you've spent some time throughout the week reading God's word, you've read it. You've heard it, but you've not obeyed it. God's wanting us not just to hear, but to put it into practice. What did, what did James say? Be a doer of the word, not just a hearer only. James says if we're a hearer only, we deceive ourselves. Now, we can pride ourselves on being really, really, really good hearers. Pastor, I'm a great hearer. I was at the 9.30 discipleship hour, and I heard a great lesson today. I heard it, I tell you. And I'm here today, live or in person, or maybe you're, you're watching online or listening. I'm hearing God's word today. Man, doing a great job. I'm hearing. And I'll be back tonight as we dig into 1 Peter I'm going to hear some more about God and his word. We can do really, really good at the hearing part. If we're being honest, many times we struggle at the obeying part. Because there's instructions in God's word. There, there are commands that he nudges us through the power of the Holy Spirit. He, he drops into our heart in prayer. And either we don't want to. Or it's challenging and hard to get us to change a little bit. But sometimes God's speaking and we're hearing him, but we're struggling in the obedience. There's promptings, there's nudgings of the Holy Spirit, and we often will not put them into practice. God didn't want Jonah simply to hear and understand what the word was, go to Nineveh and preach. He wanted him to Go to Nineveh and preach. So if we're desiring revival in our own hearts and lives, in our nation, in our congregation, in our communities, we've got to hear God's call, but then obey his word. Thirdly, we then proclaim God's message. Verse 4, Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's what he was proclaiming. The, the message to proclaim was short. 
The message to proclaim was simple. It, it wasn't a lengthy message. It, it was not a, a real intellectual message. It was short. You might have heard of Charles Spurgeon, and the story was said that as a boy, he attended a service at a rather primitive Methodist chapel. The preacher there was somewhat uneducated and preached a very simple, short sermon. This preacher used Isaiah 45, 22 as his text, and it contained this phrase, Look unto me, and be ye saved. And this, this minister said, Anyone can look. It don't take much effort. A weak man can look. An uneducated man can look. It don't take any money. A poor man can look. Quit looking at yourself. Look to Christ. This little preacher saw Spurgeon and said, Young man, you look miserable, and you will always look miserable until you look to Jesus. Young man, look, look, look. Simple, short. That was, I'm sure, the abbreviated form of that message. And we're like, wow, just a, a, a short phrase of Scripture. Look to Jesus. But it was there that Spurgeon gave his life to the Lord, was saved that night. The message doesn't have to be complex. The message doesn't have to be monumental and long, but we are to proclaim the message that God has. Now, Jonah's message here, verse 4, it was not the most eloquent, but it was the message of God. What did he say? Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Uh, count that with me. Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Whoa! Eight words! I see some of you looking at each other like, boy, I sure wish Pastor Mark would only use eight words. You know what's even better? This is the English translation or equivalent. Just about any version or, or uh, uh, translation you might use would interpret it as about eight words. Go back into original Hebrew. It's even better. It's only five. I know some of your smiles just got really big. Woo. Pastor Mark in five words. Here you go. God loves you very much. Boom. I got a few more to say. If God only gave me eight words to say, I'd give you those eight words. This was the message Jonah was proclaiming to the people of Nineveh. It was short and sweet and to the point, but it was God's message. Now, 40 more days, Nineveh will be overthrown. Overthrown or overturned in Hebrew, it's, it's kind of a double meaning. You and I know there's a lot of words even in English. It can mean one thing or it can mean another thing. And so this is pretty, pretty cool that in this message, 40 more days and Nineveh, Nineveh will be overturned. It could mean destroyed, you know, overthrown, overturned. Nineveh is going to be destroyed. But there's a second meaning. It could also mean changed. Overthrown, overturned, completely changed. The message of God was, Nineveh, you've got a choice. You can be changed, transformed, or you can literally be destroyed. 
What will you choose? How will you respond to the message of God? There was an urgency about that message. Well, it wasn't, you know, some point, sometime in your life, maybe you'd want to consider responding to God. This particular case, there's an urgency. God speaking to and through Jonah to the people of Nineveh. There's an urgency. Forty days, and either, either this is going to be destruction, or there's going to be this complete transformation. What's your choice? You and I have that responsibility of proclaiming God's message, giving opportunity for people then to respond to the word of God. We don't have forever. We don't know what today holds. You hear some of those thoughts echoed almost every time in in a funeral service, right? When you've shown up to a funeral service of a friend or a family member, chances are you weren't circling that date on your calendar. You thought or hoped you would have more time. So we don't always know the length of time that we have, and there's an urgency here. God's nudging Jonah to speak to Nineveh. There's an urgency of responding to his message. But you and I have got to be faithful to proclaim that message. Now, is it just for pastors to proclaim the message of God? No. We are We are to preach, we are to proclaim, we are to teach, and all of those things. But guess what? You're included too. So raise your hand and say, I'm a proclaimer. You might not identify as a preacher, that's okay, but you can raise your hand and say, I'm a proclaimer. I am to proclaim the message of God. God's message through Jonah to the people of Nineveh? Respond. You've got 40 days, and you're either going to be destroyed or transformed. The choice is up to you. The choice is up to you and I. If we're wanting revival in our own hearts and lives, in our communities, in our nation, across our world, let's hear God's call, obey His word, proclaim His message. Fourthly, believe God's blueprint. First four words of verse 5, it says this, the Ninevites believed God. We'll stop right there. The Ninevites believed God. This might have boggled Jonah's mind a little bit. He spent all this time, you know, disregarding God, running the opposite direction, getting on the boat for Tarshish, getting involved in this storm, getting thrown overboard. God appointed a fish for him, swallowed him up. Chapter 2, he's in the belly of the fish. He's praying. He's there three days and three nights, vomited out on land. He then obeys. He makes his way all the way to Nineveh. He spends time going throughout Nineveh, proclaiming this message. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned. It's either going to be transformed or destroyed. And four words of verse 5 says that the Ninevites believed God. Probably shocked him, probably surprised Jonah. 
One historian says this about the people of Nineveh and that surrounding area there in Assyria. He says, it's as gory and blood-curdling of a history as we know. The Assyrians, the people of Nineveh, they were not the friendly neighbors. They were known for depravity and violence towards enemies and at times towards each other. We mentioned a handful of things as we looked at it in chapter 1. Let me mention a few more. They would make parades of heads requiring the friends of the deceased loved one to carry their head on poles in a parade. Now, we've just come through the Thanksgiving season, Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. I don't think you saw any dead relatives' heads being carried on poles through the parade. But that's what the people of Nineveh, that's what many of these Assyrians were like. They stretched prisoners with ropes to then be skinned while fully conscious. These are the people Jonah's preaching to. They pulled tongues out of prisoners. They burned children alive. They would brag of live dismemberment, cutting off and dismembering part after part after part of a body, but they would leave one hand attached to the body. Why? So they could shake that hand before death. That's the kind of people, that's the kind of sick and depraved culture God's saying, go and preach to them. They need to hear. Jonah's probably thinking, okay, I'll do it, but they're not going to respond. I mean, those people? No, never. Verse 5, the Ninevites believed God. If we're wanting revival, then like the Ninevites, you and I have got to believe God, believe his, view, his blueprint. Now, as I'm describing the Ninevites, these Assyrians to you, chances are there's probably somebody that came into your mind. Hopefully not that has done any of these things, but there's probably somebody in your family, or there's probably somebody in your community, or there's probably somebody at your school, or somebody at your workplace, somebody that you've come across, and immediately they come to mind and you think, this person would never trust in and believe God. This person is so far away from God, they would never respond to him. No doubt that's, that's probably what Jonah was thinking. Okay, God, I've heard you. I'm going to obey you, but God, they're not going to listen. Don't you know what kind of people these people are? They're sick. They're depraved. Jonah preaches. Jonah proclaims, and the Ninevites believe. That gives incredible encouragement to you and to me. As you think of that loved one, as you think of that coworker, as you think of that classmate, as you think of that individual in your community who you think would never turn to God, never surrender their heart and believe in God, they can. God's able to change. God's able to transform, to overturn. God's able to change and transform and 
overturn a heart and a life. And you say, well, not this person. Not this family member. God can. God's the one who's able to change and transform a heart. Believing in God and his blueprint. Notice it said that they believed God. It's not just that they believed what Jonah said about God. They believed God. They believed what he had to say. They were taking this seriously. Revival in our own hearts and lives, revival in our church and community, revival across the world takes place as we hear God's call, as we obey his word, as we proclaim his message, believe his blueprint. But finally, it happens as we turn God's way. It all has to do with repentance. Revival takes place with repentance. Revival requires repentance. Again, verse 5, the Ninevites believed God, but here's what took place. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. That's quite a turnaround. From the type of people who would have a parade of dead heads to a a type of people who would dismember and disfigure bodies but leave the hand so they could shake it before death. To believing God and putting that belief into action, there was a fast and they put on sackcloth. This was some genuine repentance. Note Note a few things of what repentance is and what repentance is not. Repentance is not regret. It's not merely regret. Regret is wishing our sins hadn't happened. Boy, I've got regret. I wished I hadn't have said that. I wished I wouldn't have done that. We can regret things that we've done, but that's not repentance. Repentance is not mere remorse, being sorry for my sin. Boy, I wish I hadn't have done it. Boy, I'm sorry that I've done it. That's a a part of what's in there, but it's certainly different from repentance. Remorse may lead us to repentance, but it is not equal to repentance. Repentance is not resolve or reform, choosing to do better or trying to turn over a, a new leaf on our own. Repentance is not those things. Repentance is a turn. It's a complete turn. I'm turning away from sin, and I'm turning towards God. That's what we see in the Ninevites. There is a complete change, a complete turn in their hearts and in their lives. It's a change of mind and heart and action. Repentance is not just, boy, I'm really sorry. Wow, boy, I did wrong. Repentance is, I'm going to turn from the wrongs, and I'm going to turn to God. I'm repenting of that. I'm asking God to cleanse and to forgive me of that, turning from that turning to God. Repentance requires a genuine change. And imagine these Ninevites. They're fasting, and they're putting on sackcloth. It's, it's indicative of repentance, humility in their lives. It's kind of that continual physical reminder of their sins, a sackcloth. It's rough. It's 
itchy. It's, it's not the nice, regular kinds of clothes you would wear. It reminds me, man, I've really messed up. Every time I, I kind of move and I'm, I'm rubbed raw by the sackcloth I'm wearing, it's reminding me of the sins. I'm turning from them. So repentance, it started with the people, but guess what? It didn't end there. We're going to work our way now through the rest of the chapter, and we're going to see once the king found out about it, the king raised the standard of the response. So verse 6, when Jonah's warning reached the people of Nineveh, he rose from his throne. That's symbolic. He's, He's stepping aside from his throne, rising up. He took off his royal robes. Symbolizing his act of humility, he's not keeping those royal robes on. He himself covered with sackcloth. More sense of humility. It's not just for the people that they're going to do the sackcloth thing and I'll stay in my robes and and in my royal palace. He's rising from his throne. He's taking off his robes. He's covering himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. More humility, more sorrow, more actions of repentance. Verse 7, this is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Interesting. The people themselves began to fast. The people themselves had covered them with sackcloth. Now the king heard about it. The king's responding in repentance. He himself is putting on sackcloth. But it's not just enough for me. It's not just enough for you. Everyone, we're all going to do it, including the animals. How interesting is that? He specifically mentions people, animals, herds, or flocks. Don't let them eat or drink anything. Now, when we hear about animals, for for many, it would be pets. Some of you do have some livestock or or, uh, animals, perhaps, at your home. But whether they're livestock and animals or pets, nobody is eating or drinking anything. And we're all wearing sackcloth. We're going to get a shadow-sized portion of sackcloth and wrap up that furry puppy. Can you imagine if you got a little, little, little puppy, little kitten or whatnot, you, you've got an animal, you're wrapping those up in sackcloth, and neither you nor them are going to eat or drink anything. So when Shadow goes to his little food dish and, and he paws at it and he turns up and, and looks at you with sad puppy dog eyes, my, my dish is empty, that's what he says. We're going to have to say, Shadow, I'm sorry. The king's declared a fast. And in fact, uh, let's take off your Christmas sweater and let's wrap you up in some rough sackcloth. But the king was responding. He was raising the standard, raising the level of what they were doing. And then he says this, let everyone call urgently on God. He wants everybody to have an opportunity of responding. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. It's turning. That's repentance. Give up the evil ways. Give up the violence. We're going to surrender these things. We're going to turn from our sins, and we're going to turn to God. Check out verse 9. Who knows? 
God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. He says, maybe, maybe if we turn from sins and we turn to God, maybe God's got to turn in him and, and he'll turn from that destruction and instead allow it to be change and transformation. Verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. That's revival. It's interesting because almost without exception, as we look through the prophets and the word of God, prophets are sent to the people of Israel. Prophets are sent to the land of Israel, the nation of Israel, God's people to say, turn to God or return to God. Here, Jonah is specifically called to go to Nineveh, not a people of Israel, foreign land, foreign nation, completely against God. And he was to proclaim the word, God's message. They heard, they responded, and revival broke out. Can you imagine that person that you identified in your mind just a little bit ago that you said they would never turn to God? Imagine them seeking you out and saying, so what do I got to do to give my life to Jesus? What's, what's, do I got to like pray a prayer or something? Or how, how do I get rid of these sins from my past? How do I receive a brand new start from God? Can you imagine how blown away you would be by that family member, that classmate, that coworker, that member of the community? That's what's taking place in Jonah chapter 3. It's revival. It's about to break out as they are turning from sin, turning from their evil ways, and turning to God. And God says, I'm going to turn from the destruction I planned. You've turned to me. I'm going to turn from destruction and spare. That's good news for you and I. He gave his son, Jesus Christ, for you and I. Revival. We want it. We want it in our own life. We, we want it in our families. We want it in our church. We want it in our communities. Uh, we need it across our nation and across our world. How do you get it? One man asked an evangelist, how can we have revival? The evangelist answered by asking, do you have a place where you can go and pray? And replied, yes. The evangelist answered, I'll tell you what to do. Go to that place. Take a piece of chalk along with you. Kneel down and with the chalk, draw a complete circle around yourself. And here's what you do. Pray for God to send revival on everything inside that circle. Stay there until he answers, and you will have revival. In other words, God, let revival begin with me. We say, oh, we want revival across our world, and it needs it. We want revival across our nation, and we need it. We want revival across our state and our region, our area, our, our, our cities and communities, our families, our schools, our jobs. Let's call out to God. Say, God, send revival. Let it start in me. 
Help me to hear your call. Help me to obey your word, to proclaim your message, believe in your blueprint, and then turn your way. Those are a handful of things we see from the people of Nineveh. Jonah's example in Jonah chapter 3. We want revival. Let's put some of these things in place. 